Je voudrais une question. Oh. What? But my real name is Hello. Hello? This is the German Coast Guard. We are sinking. We're sinking. What are you thinking about? Welcome to Chillin' Ambitious, where we reference pop culture to make points about whatever we want to talk about today. And I'm O. And I'm No. And together we, we make, make Oh No. Oh No. Oh No. Yes, so this is our first Real Deal episode, which means uh, we're going to be talking to some guests today. Yes, and our first guest is the true embodiment of a life innovator. Because of her story, we're going to talk about community, empathy, creativity, and language skills. Language skills, no? Yes, oh. We found that her language skills allowed her to find a successful career that makes her happy, uh, to be more empathetic, to become a better problem solver, and to engage in the community. And... Actually, that makes sense with some of the research we did. We found that the benefits of knowing multiple languages actually may have contributed to her success more than anyone could have thought. Really? And I say, hell yeah, hell yeah, hell yeah. So how many language these languages do you know? No. Um, I know one full one, for sure. English. I'm excellent at English. I speak... I would say, like, I'm half good at Arabic, and I'm half good at French, and then I have some little sprinklings of, like, other languages. Like, I know a little Italian. I used to study Italian um, and some Spanish, but... No, I'm kind of in the same boat as you there. I obviously know English. I Actually, my first language was Chinese. And then I went to school and just, like, forgot all of it and just started speaking English. And then I know some French as well. Cool. Um... So what are some of the benefits to us knowing these multiple languages? There's a lot of cognitive bonuses. There's showing that people who are bilingual, multilingual do better on standardized tests across like language, uh, math, sciences, uh, as well as like comprehension and reading, of course. They also uh, are able to remember things better. Uh, knowing more languages help ease cognitive trap traps the shortcuts your brain makes. Um, so instead of thinking, well, so that you think less emotionally and you start to think more rationally, um, there was a study that was done between monolingual and bilingual children. Um, and they asked them to, they asked them all these questions that required them to process language. And uh, overall, the, the monolingual and the bilingual children answered all of the questions pretty similarly, except for one question. Um, they asked children certain illogical sentences that were grammatically correct. So, for example, apples grow on noses. The monolingual children couldn't answer. They would say, oh, that sounds silly, but they would avoid judging it and giving an answer. And the bilingual children said, that's silly, but it's grammatically correct. These are five, six-year-olds. Five and six-year-olds, yeah. So... um, the bilinguals, bilinguals, bilingual children uh, had better cognitive had a better cognitive system and the ability to assess both the important information 
and ignore what wasn't so relevant. Um, and also, I think this is, seems like it would be very obvious, but that people who are multilingual um, have a greater empathy for other people. Empathy. Um, and that they develop empathetic, uh, they develop empathy sooner than monolingual children. So actually, they, they said that um, the brain, there's 6,500 languages out there. And the brain is not predisposed to any of them. So it's able to compute any of those 6,500 languages. From it, the beginning. From the beginning, yeah. It's all environment in terms of what languages start to become easier for you to understand. And your brain can start to identify the other at a very, very young age. So it's not just like your brain thinks that if you're, if you're spoken to in two or three different languages, it doesn't equate them all the same. It knows that they're different languages. So children, when they're first born, actually have trouble identifying themselves. They don't identify themselves. So everything that's happening is happening all in a blur. And that's done so that children can bond with their mother really well at the beginning. And around usually like two, three years old is when they start to actually think of the other. And so actually people, though, who are bilingual, that separation happens sooner and being able to see that what's happening to you may not actually be what's happening to the other person. You'll see this with children when maybe their brother is getting yelled at, they'll start crying. You know, they just start crying (laughs) because something's happening, it's bad, but they don't know it's directed at who or what's going on necessarily. They just know something bad is happening. Oh yeah. Or like they look around, like one of them falls and they look around like, should I, like, what's everyone else doing? Should I, should I cry now? Should I like, they're like looking. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's all, yeah, but if someone cries, they're going to cry. <laughs> it doesn't matter if yeah. it's affecting them or not directly. They're just going to start crying too. And so one of the other big things that allows, uh, is related to that and why they're able to have this empathy, there's, they're just more perceptive of their surroundings, people who speak multiple languages. So they're able to what we call code switch more quickly. And so that's, you know, literally being able to switch from English to Spanish to French, if that's all the different languages they know. And people who are bilingual usually are able to speak in a way that chooses the appropriate word for the scenario. So even if it's in another language, they'll start incorporating it into their sentence, especially if they know the other person can speak the same language as they do. So that's, again, showing that like cognitive ability to just like multitask and switch. Um, also, there was a study done that showed that multilingual drivers made less errors when driving because of their ability to code switch. Um, Which is pretty cool. Yeah. So America, get on it. <laughs> get on it. Right. So it's, it's not just about learning some other person's language. There's a lot of cognitive benefits or, that go along with it. Yeah. And, and as much as that seems obvious that the more you, you go out into the world and meet new people and try and have new experiences... The less close, you know, the, the less close-minded you're going to be, the more open you are going to be in general to everything, including other races. Um, and that's why exploring the world and getting a different viewpoint is really vital to creating a really beautiful, empathetic, and open society. Um, speaking of yes, having a beautiful, open, empathetic society. Um, we have a very special guest today, Emily McClone. Yes, we have Emily McClone. She 
has started her own nonprofit called Parties for Peace. She also organizes with Peace Boat, and she listens to techno, which is how I met her. <laughs> of course, she's a multilingual, which is how we came up on this. So here's Emily. Hi, thank you for inviting me to the show today. Definitely. Thank you for coming. Um, Olivia told me about how impressed she was by your ability, like when she went to your office, your ability to multitask, like you would be talking to her, <laughs> maintaining a conversation and, you know, like kind of listening in the background to someone else, like answering in another language. She was just like, she is so on top of it. Um, and she was just telling me how impressed she was by that ability. Yeah. And, and I should just... Yeah. <laughs> it's funny because in our office, we do have a lot of uh, international volunteers. Right now, we have about five volunteers from five different countries. Um, wow. So there's a lot of different languages taking place in our office all the time. That's amazing. How many languages do you speak? I speak three languages uh, pretty fluently, which are uh, Spanish, English, and Japanese. Um, and then I speak <laughs> a little bit of Arabic, a little bit of French and Portuguese kind of on the side. But, you know, language disappears if you don't use it. So it's true. Yes. How do you feel like Peace Boat, which can you actually can you talk a little bit more about Peace Boat for us? Sure. Yeah. So I um, have been working for Peace Boat, which is an international nonprofit organization uh, that travels the world, visiting more than 20 countries every three months. Um, since about 2004, I started working for them as a volunteer Spanish teacher. And so language came in very handy because I was able to use my second language as a way to actually travel around the world for free as a volunteer, um, but working Amazing. every day. And the Peace Boat <laughs> has a cruise ship, which is uh, our venue, which travels the, sh travels the world, visiting so many different countries, uh, stopping for one or two days in every country as we travel. And our goal is to promote peace and sustainability, human rights, gender equality, and conflict resolution as we're traveling around the world visiting different communities and learning about these different social issues that they face. It's amazing. So what, who gets to come along on these, on these boat trips? Is it, is it a, a mix of, um, is it a mix of volunteers as well as an outside community of people who want to get involved or just want to learn more? Or? Sure. Well, anybody's actually welcome to join the Peace Boat. Um, one of the things that we're very proud of is we have a very intergenerational mix on board the ship Nice. So there's about 1,000 people, which we call our participants on board. And out of those participants, there are um, ages 2 to 6 years old in our Montessori education program for kids on board. <laughs> uh, we also have a lot of young people around the age of university age taking a break from university or just finishing uh, before they go to grad school. Um, and then we also have a lot of retirees, so people who have extra time, they would like to see the world. There's so many places that they haven't been yet that they're saying, okay, this is, you know, a great way to learn and travel at the same time. So we have a lot of different uh, walks of life on the Peace Boat. And then we have, of course, international staff members like myself who come from all around the world and found Peace Boat as a way to volunteer and get involved in an international nonprofit working for peace and sustainability. And we have guest speakers who come from all around the world as well. So quite an eclectic mix on board. So would you say this is kind of a dream job? I, I really do think it is my dream job. Yeah, I've been with Peace Boat for more than 12 years now. Wow. Uh, working and traveling a lot uh, to different countries and, and learning about, uh, you know, various social issues and, and global, you know, uh, challenges that we're facing in the world today. So it's, it's kind of like um, experiential learning. You're not just reading about something, but you're actually there and experiencing it yourself. Great. Amazing. So 
I mean, that ties in very well with some of uh, the research that we dug up earlier in terms of people being exposed to different cultures and how that helps them change their perspectives, which seems pretty clear. How have you seen that manifest at Peace Boat, or have you? Oh, definitely. I think that being exposed to other cultures and languages definitely helps um, create what we call a global citizen. So someone who's not just uh, from your own country and focused on national issues, but really sees the connectedness of the world. Mm -hmm. And definitely speaking more than one language can help you understand what's happening as you're traveling and also just to connect the culture in different places through that language. So I find that um, our international division with, division with Peace Boat definitely does um, have a broader perspective on the world and on the issues that we're you know looking at while we're traveling. And and the empathy does come in as well. So you know using your language skills to really um, kind of understand the culture, where people are coming from, mm -hmm. and uh, their perspectives. It does make a big difference to be multilingual. Cool. Do you have any stories of either with you or maybe some of the people that went on Peace Bow and how they were maybe taken aback? It's, I feel like a lot of times when you get those life lessons or how you were missing a perspective, it's, it comes out of nowhere, you know? Sure. Well, there's so many stories of, you know, different things that we've learned on the Peace Boat. Um, I was really impressed by one of our guest speakers. His name is Idaka-san or Mr. Idaka in Japanese. Um, but he's also known as Salvador, because he spent so much time traveling in Latin America that he had a new nickname, which was Salvador. <laughs> and he spent um, many years traveling in Latin America, backpacking around, uh, working as a journalist and, you know, writing books about uh, Hugo Chavez during his time in Venezuela, uh, visiting Cuba, visiting so many countries in Central America that he really became very Latino, you know, and yeah. that was something that really impressed me. Um, he was one of the guest speakers that I was just, you know, in awe of, of looking at how much he had learned in Latin America, how much he was, you know, very Latino in his own <laughs> actions, uh, but being an older Japanese uh, journalist, you know, and he's wow. traveled on the Peace Boat with us so many times. And um, yeah, I really look up to him as someone who has, you know, taken language and culture and appropriated it to kind of be his own and also is able to teach about so many global issues as if that were his own region where he came from. It's wonderful. It sounds awesome. Um, I hear that you've been to more than a hundred countries. I think so. I really kind of stopped counting, you know, after a little while you go on the peace boat and you visit, uh, like I said, 20 countries in one trip, which is three months long. Wow. And I went six times around the world. So even multiplying, you know, six by 20, you You're kind of, yeah, it. you reach yeah. more than more than 100 <laughs> countries really easily. Um, and a lot of Peace Boat staff have, you know, had that advantage to, to see so many different places as we travel. So we were very fortunate. Um, of course, we're working, so it's not the same as going on vacation or traveling on your own. But you really get to connect with the local communities. Do you have a favorite phrase in another language that doesn't translate very well in English? Yeah, there's so many. Um, a lot of Japanese words to me have so much deep meaning, um, maybe because of the, you know, the culture and the history of Japan, um, maybe also because of the kanji characters, which can mean so much in one small symbol. Yeah. Um, but, you know, one really good word, which kind of doesn't really translate into English, is uh, yoroshiku onegaishimasu. And it's kind of a word you use to say, uh, nice to meet you. 
and also um, kind of reflecting this uh, please take care of me aspect oh. as well. So if your boss really wants you to do something, you might be like, oh my, you know? <laughs> my boss, my boss says that to us a lot, you know, oh my gosh, like, can you take care of this, please? You know, can, cool. can, you, can you get this? So it can be used if you just meet someone, but then also if you know someone. And exactly. And when you, yeah, when you first meet someone, you can say, you know, like, you know, nice to meet you. And also please take care of me. I like that because it's, it's also setting up this like expectation of kindness. It is. And that's what's really nice. I found that Japanese culture is very polite, uh, very much focused on the group as well. Mm-hmm. So that's something else that I, you know, really appreciate. I was living in Japan for 10 years and having that culture kind of ingrained in you after a decade of being immersed in a really peaceful, um, you know, thoughtful culture, you you come back to the United States and you think, wow, you know, everything here is so focused on the individual. <laughs> Whereas even the language, you know, is focused on the group, like expecting kindness from the beginning. You know, I really like that a lot. That's funny. I was relating that actually I, I was telling Noelle about how uh, I was asking my dad how to tell my cousin that something she was doing was very impressive and he pauses and he just kind of furrows his brow and he's like um oh yeah which just means like good thing and I was and I knew that one I was like I don't think that's exact I want to say it about her and he was just like there's not really a way to talk about it so individually and it was it's just something broader and it's just you know something very easy for us to do in English that there's just not really a translation for that. It's true. Yeah, we're, we're very focused sometimes on the me or the you rather than just the fact that it is a good thing, something good's happening or in a more broad sense. Cool. I, I like what you said about global citizen earlier. And how is that really tied in, do you feel like, with Peace Boat? Well, one of our goals on the ship, um, you know, while we're traveling and making these connections and bridging cultures in every country we like to just think about how it's all interconnected. And for example, here we are in New York City, uh, what we consider to be kind of the center of the world and where so many cultures come together and mix in one place. Um, and we kind of think that, you know, what we do here is kind of not only contained here, of course it exports itself to the world, but we know that people come here as well. Right. But if you think about being a global citizen, you might think, okay, I'm living in New York City, but really, you know, New York City is connected to the rest of the United States and the United States is connected to Canada well, they're connected and Mexico to us. and around. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> they're connected to us <laughs> and we're connected to them. So that kind of global so. citizen. <laughs> it's about reciprocal relationships. <laughs> exactly. It's about thinking about, yeah, you know, how do we kind of um, consider yourself a part of this world, not just from your own city or country, but really thinking about um, what, how what we do affects everywhere else. You know, I just came back from San Francisco yesterday, and they're having a major drought in California. Um, And you don't want to think about, you know, taking like an hour-long shower if you're in New York and not thinking about the drought in California because that kind of is so disconnected, you know. You have to think about it more as as a global perspective or more of, you know, it's, it's the connectedness really on a global level. It's kind of what the global citizen promotes. I actually even like on your website, on the Peace Boat website, they talk about how the boat is this neutral mobile space, which at first I was like, well, boat's a good way to get out there. But I kind of like how you can create a little life on there. And it is this, in some ways, I guess, global because it's neutral. 
you can have all these different cultures. And no, there's, you know, no borders. There's no um, barriers as far as uh, countries go. For example, we have a really wonderful program, the International Students Program, with youth who come from conflict regions. And we often bring youth from Palestine and Israel together on the peace boat. And one of the main reasons why we use the ship as a venue for conflict resolution in this case, is because it's a neutral space. Mm-hmm. So these youth are not able to cross the wall uh, to visit youth in Israel, to visit youth in Palestine, vice versa. And if they are in either country, they do actually feel that you know political pressure that they shouldn't be working together or mm-hmm. meeting together. But on the ship, in this very neutral space with a peace boat culture, which is provided by all of our staff and all of our volunteers in creating a safe environment for real dialogue and real peace building through conversations, it actually does prove to work quite well. So we've had very large successes um, and small ones, you know, with these kind of programs. And we try to just maintain that really, you know, peace boat space as, as someplace that these conversations yeah, can take Yeah, it's like breaking place. it down to just like the humanity and removing anything political, you know, because obviously you would have the pressure even of maybe your family and what their opinions were. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. So before you did, you know, you're living your dream life, you're having, you know, you have your dream job. Before you did this full time, how did you afford to travel? And did you always volunteer and and find a way through that? Or I did, actually. I think I started volunteering when I was about 16 years old. Um, I'm originally from California, but lived in North Carolina in Asheville in the mountains. And there happened to be a group of young people there who were traveling to Mexico to do volunteer work. So I joined that group um, for the first time and went down to Mexico. And that's when I started realizing that, wow, you know, my Spanish could definitely be a useful tool if I can make friends with the people here and work together. Because it wasn't just our group from North Carolina, but that we were working together with local youth uh, from Mexico in, in Merida and Yucatan. Oh, yeah. You get to connect with more people if you know more languages. Absolutely. And become <laughs> friends with people and actually make lasting friendships. I'm still very close to a lot of the people that I met in Mexico at that time. And in fact, because of my language skills, I went back again when I was 18 years old. And they invited me to be the volunteer coordinator when I was 19. So using language uh, as a platform... Actually, it opened so many doors for me and allowed me to go back and spend two months uh, working in Mexico as a volunteer coordinator, which then led me to kind of really improve my Spanish and put me into another level of study classes when I went to the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. Um, I was able to take anthropology and political science taught in Spanish. I was able to use my language Mm. skills to work with uh, Latin American women who were learning English as a second language teaching ESL to their children as well who were in school and struggling with their homework because I didn't really speak much English. And suddenly I realized how useful it was to speak two languages. And from there, just experience after experience of volunteering and traveling and being part of other communities that were not just the normal, you know, uh, typical, you could say, university experience. That really helped a lot. So you didn't think like English was better than all other languages and therefore the American culture was better than any other any other culture so many people do really think that and i don't know where and when that was kind of brought into our culture that you know it's you're in america speak english it's like you know well there you know are so many people here who speak spanish and if we all learned two languages we'd be a lot better off you know so i yeah. don't think it has to be one or the other necessarily of course english is 
is useful when you're filling out documents and applying for jobs and, you know, living your life here in the United States. But I think it would be really great if everybody learns some Spanish or at least one other language, you know, like you said, to keep your mind open and to adapt to other cultures. It's really useful. Absolutely. Well, it comes from a history in our country for assimilation, you know, and before we used to just kick people out, but then they're like, okay, well, if you're not going to get kicked out, you need to assimilate and you need to speak English, which I get that everyone needs to speak a common language, but there was an eradication of what if you brought anything from your culture. And I think we still have roots of that. And like you said, most things are all in English. You don't have the option in schools to learn if you don't speak English. And, but, you know, I think it's good that everyone does go bilingual. It's not like don't learn English, but we can learn a lot from speaking other languages as well. Also, you just become more interesting. Like, like, <laughs> like, like why you study anything, it's, it makes you a, a more dimensional person. You'll meet more people. You'll probably be more attractive to more people. If you really want to like. I love her if she speak another language. But <laughs> there's no reason not to. It's not like it's not like it will do anything bad to you. Right. Learning and, another language does not like diminish anything else. And I just think about it like that predominance of a certain language and culture. Like just because I, for example, I am Asian, so I'm different. And how many like people who are very like America are like you? You celebrate Thanksgiving? <laughs> Stop. Like, yeah. I'm joking. <laughs> or like I told them that I I took Spanish in college, and then this one woman, sweetest woman ever, and I learned a lot from her because she was my sewing instructor. But she was like a Chinese person speaking Spanish, and thought that was the funniest thing she's ever heard of. Because people have like one idea of what one thing is and everything is the other. And so, yeah, if we had this more (laughs) global citizen thing. Yeah, people are, it's, you know, it's a lot of lack of education, I think, in many aspects. You know, people don't really understand how useful it is sometimes to speak another language. And they don't expect other cultures sometimes to fit into their own culture. When really, I always tell people, being American, you know, everybody's American. You're yeah. here, you're living here, you're, <laughs> you know, there's no, there's no color, there's no race, there's no language that is more American to me than another, you know? Yeah. But for a lot of people, yeah, that's surprising. That's not what it Always, is. Yeah, they're not used to it. What's well, threatening? Actually, my mom has this hilarious story about her uncle. When my mom's, my parent, both my parents are born and raised in Lebanon. They moved here in the 80s. But, uh, my mom's uncle moved to Argentina for a while, got married to an Argentinian woman, and then they moved back to Lebanon. Now, his wife didn't speak any Arabic. She only <laughs> spoke Spanish, or so everyone thought. So for three years, this woman, you know, just this, like barely like one Arabic word here, one Arabic word there. One day, she, someone asked her a question, and she just speaks the most perfect Arabic you've ever heard. And they're like, what? Like you spoke Arabic all this time. You haven't said for, you haven't said any Arabic for three years. She goes, I just wanted to know if you guys were talking about me. <laughs> like I wanted to be able to understand what you were saying. Three years. That's a long time. <laughs> a long time. But I think that that's like the funniest, like longest troll ever. But just like. <laughs> it, it is interesting though how people can actually, you know, you do feel almost like safer by being able to speak two languages, you know, yeah. being able to understand what people say about you or if somebody is saying something, you know, as a as a foreigner, taking it not on, not as much of a fun, exciting 
uh, trip as going to Lebanon you know, from Argentina, but just being, you know, on the street where there might be Spanish speakers. And um, if you don't know your way around, you're in a new place, a new city, and just knowing that you can speak the language and read the signs and ask for directions, you know, it gives you a sense of security. And also knowing you can hear what people say behind you, you know, they're like, oh, there's, you know, a gringa walking up there and you can kind of turn around and be like, Hey, yo hablo español también. Ah. <laughs> you know, and it's kind of like, yeah, you, you have a little bit more, you know, I wouldn't want to say really power, but you do have the ability to it's understand. Yeah. It's yes. awesome. So what about people who are interested in kind of following, let's say, in your footsteps, volunteering more or, you know, learning language while volunteering? How, like, what recommendations would you give for people who wanted to go down your path sure well I always um think that you know looking for volunteer opportunities whether it be for a month or two weeks or you know six months you know however much time you can afford that works on your schedule um you know if you are in New York City or in another big city around the world you know time is precious and you kind of have to kind of minimize um you know spending a long time away from your work maybe but finding those small opportunities to practice and to travel and get immersed in a culture is so beneficial and also getting out of your comfort zone is something that you always kind of have to think about as being the norm. Don't expect to think it's going to be easy or really comfortable, but you know, you, you put yourself out there a little bit and then you find that actually you're having an amazing experience. Um, for example, when I was um, just leaving university, I went to El Salvador in Guatemala and I spent two months there working with medical students in Guatemala, learning about the healthcare system, volunteering in an AIDS hospice. And then I took a bus down to El Salvador with another girl from my university, and we started a program called Mujeres, working with women. Um, and we did educational programs. Um, I stayed with her grandmother for a month in her house. You know, <laughs> It's not the normal um, you know, uh, travel experience, but it was a homestay. So we I got to, to see exactly yeah. what their life is like on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, and it's, it's just a learning experience. You consider it something that's good for you, good for your soul, good for you to you know, take a step out and, and try something new. Yeah, I love how you're able to do things that improve yourself, but also connect it to service. So it seems to like tie in with something that you're also, not just you are benefiting, but other people are benefiting as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's when you do something for others, you kind of automatically have a feeling of satisfaction, whether you, you know, I don't it's motivating. Do it, you do, yeah, it's motivating. You don't do it for that reason. You do it to give back to others. But at the same time, you just feel so full of, you know, life. And yeah, it's motivational. Amazing. And it makes me think of you were, so we didn't talk a little bit about Parties for Peace, which is actually a nonprofit you started. So Parties for Peace, um, I started in 2002 while I was living in Japan, um, in Tokyo, actually raising money for the project that we had started in El Salvador the year before. Uh, so my focus, you know, on Spanish and Latin America was all through my younger years. But when I moved to Asia to kind of experience a new culture and be able to compare international relations, um, I was trying to think of how to connect people in Asia with the cause that I had already started in Latin America because most people are not very connected um, in those two points. Mm -hmm. So we thought, well, let's have a party and do a fundraiser. And the funds that we raise uh, from the door will be collected and donated towards our project in Latin America. And that was our first Parties for Peace. And what we do basically is we invite artists to donate their time and talent. And we invite um, club owners and 
uh, venues to donate the space. And then we bring in volunteers to work the door and collect, you know, donations at the door. And it's a party. So, um, you know, we like to dance. We like music. Music is a community-based, you know, kind of experience where you're going to a party. You're going to see your friends. You're going to have a good time. You know, hopefully the vibe is going to be good. And with Parties for Peace, a lot of people say, you know, that they feel the energy is different at the party because you feel like you're making a difference. You're not just there to, you know, go out and party, but you're actually with your money that you're donating at the door, you are making a positive difference in the world and people feel that. I love how that's so obvious to you with parties and peace coming together because I've mentioned the, just the name to other people before, parties for peace. And there's like a pause of like not really associating partying with charity, which there's a lot of, but some for some reason it's people think of partying as let's get wasted. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then they also, I think that people think of like um, events, like fundraising events as something being very like exclusive or like, black you tie. know, black tie, you know, save Venice, donate $10,000 for, you know, for dinner. But it can, you know, you can donate in a million different ways. Absolutely. And we like to provide that platform too, because we don't want to be exclusive. And, you know, we're looking for ways that also the DJs and the venues can also get involved because, you know, DJs are playing on Friday, Saturday night, all night long. They're not going to go volunteer to soup kitchen on Sunday morning. And, you know, the homeless, for example, you know, a typical volunteer activity that anybody might want to get involved with. But by giving them the opportunity to play as a volunteer, mm-hmm. you know, they're able to give back too. So it's kind of creating community, providing that platform for others. And we've raised, you know, thousands of dollars in different projects uh, for the past 11, 12 years, working in Latin America, Africa, Asia, um, here in the United States. For example, after Hurricane Sandy, we did a party uh, with Alexi Delano and right. Doug Fugger and other artists <laughs> that are here from uh New York City, and, and that was a really great way to give back to the city, too. So, so any new projects coming up or anything you're working on? Yeah, we've started a project in the past couple of years that I'm really excited about and I'm hoping to really expand. It's called uh, the Music and Art Peace Academy, MAPA. 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 Yeah. And our Mapa project uh, launched in Tokyo just before I moved to New York City in 2012. And we started creating a space on the peace boat um, using the ship as a venue to bring on young people as well as experienced artists, uh, musicians. We focus on fashion, design, photography, videography, any of the arts, really. So the music and art Peace Academy is all kinds of music and all of the arts involved. Um, last summer, we took youth from New York City, from our partner organizations that come from nonprofits, onto the Peace Boat, and we visited um, a couple of different countries, starting in El Salvador and ending up in Panama. And we worked together with a local indigenous community to create documentaries about indigenous culture that we later showed here at the United Nations um, during the World Conference on Indigenous Issues. So we used documentary film as a way to bring the voice of the indigenous communities to the United Nations for this world conference. Uh, We know that coming to the United Nations in New York is difficult for a lot of communities because you have to buy flights and get visas and pay for hotels. You have to have an invitation to the UN. So we said, well, let's use our grassroots, you know, collective here of artists to really bring their voice. And this year we're planning another trip in October of 2015 and everyone is invited to join us. 
um, anybody who's listening or if you are interested in the arts or, you know, philanthropy and education, we're going to be traveling to Mexico and Belize and Panama. And last year when we created this documentary, the indigenous communities really requested help with sustainable development projects. So we're going back and visiting that and community again to be able to uh, actually, you know, respond to their requests and provide some assistance and helping build some more latrines in the community, sidewalks, and some other infrastructural support. So that's cool. very exciting. That's wonderful. Yeah, so you just said, like, you're responding because they had a request. That's right. Is that mm-hmm. how you always operate? Yeah, our Parties for Peace um, projects are always based first with a cause. So we don't do parties just to do parties. We always have uh, a need first. And then we decide, okay, we're going to focus on this project. We're going to raise funds to do, you know, X project. Uh, which is really exciting because um, it means that we're always focused on something. You know, there's always mm-hmm. a point of uh, intention for our projects. And with the Music and Art Peace Academy, basically we're raising funds through Parties for Peace to provide opportunities for artists and youth and educational programs to take place on the Peace Boat and connect with local communities. So I'm kind of tying those uh, two jobs together of, of working for Peace Boat uh, and there being the director. Again. And, and being, you know, a party enthusiast and kind of saying, well, let's put those parties towards doing something that gives people opportunities. I'm down. Yeah. <laughs> no, you guys no. can come with us using your radio. You know, this is communication, too. That's so. what we were yeah. actually. <laughs> not a terrible idea. This looks like a mobile studio to me. It so is. So I think we could put this on the peace boat. All right. It is totally mobile. Um, so you work with a lot of children. Do you have any messages for the children in terms of things that you wish that maybe when you were younger, someone let you know? I would just say um, for any of the youth that, that are, you know, interested in learning. Or 20-somethings. Yeah, or 20-somethings. <laughs> yeah, you know, youth is broad. We're all youth. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, for any anybody who's interested in just in learning more and, and finding those opportunities, you know, looking for something that will provide you a bit more satisfaction with your work. Um, always try to find your passion and follow your passion because I think a lot of times we get pushed into uh, finding a job that pays well, you're making sure you cover the bills or or looking for something that, you know, would make your parents happy if there's more of a family pressure. But I think that finding your own passion is really important and um, and just trying to go with that and use your own skills and interests to really elevate whatever it is that you want to do and then also to always try to find a way to give back in using your skills I think that will always whether you intend it to or not lead you to so many new opportunities that's exactly what happened in my case you know I was never expecting to be working as the United Nations liaison for an international Mm -hmm. organization here in New York City as a director of an office but with so many years of volunteering and so many projects under my belt, you know, it kind of pushed me in that direction. Um, I think that, yeah, just doing what you believe in is always going to put you in the right place. Yeah, it's really inspiring to see you just literally respond to people's needs. I think that can be scary for a lot of us. You know, there's this fear of being like taken advantage of, or maybe you need to like, like you said, there's a lot of expectations of what you need to accomplish. And it seems like you know, you've just put yourself out there. If someone needs something and there's a community doing it, obviously I'm sure you trust your instinct on times maybe when you're like, yeah, maybe this is not what I should be doing. But yeah, and it's just led you to good places and you end up picking up skills along the way and playing to your strengths. Yeah, you absolutely, no matter what project you involve yourself in, you're always going to pick up new skills, whether it be 
you know, community building or logistical skills, you know, um, or just life skills in general. You know, you're always going to pick up new things when you put yourself out there. Like I said, getting out of your comfort zone, uh, pushing yourself to try something new. It's beautiful. Cool. Thanks, thanks so much, Emily. You've been a delightful guest. Well, thank you for having me. <laughs> yes. And so you have a inspiring. soothing voice and you're saying <laughs> inspirational things with your amazing voice. Make sure to check out the website and follow us on social media for links to all of the organizations that Emily is involved with, as well as links to organizations here that you can be involved with if you so care to. Uh, Also, we'll have resources like our show notes, uh, the links to our audio clips, as well as research. Right. And our website is www.chillandambitious.com. And you can find us on social media under Chill Ambitious. Um, thanks for being chill. Woo! Woo! Bye. So long, farewell. I'll be just saying adieu. Adieu, adieu to you and you and you.